Uh, you're probably wondering, dude, why, why are you wearing a hat? It's a little bit disrespectful, right? Okay. Um, I actually have a bunch of hats up here because when I was a kid, I really loved hats. Like, I was a little bit hat obsessed. There was this store called Lids. I think it's still around. I just haven't been in one in a real long time. Anybody know what Lids is? Yeah, yeah, hat store. All they sell, and it's like the coolest hats. And when I was young, the only thing I cared about was a cool hat. Like, I had my favorite teams, but I didn't wear my favorite team's hat. I wore the cool hat. Anybody else was like that? You just like the cool. I had this one. It was a Wake Forest hat and the Demon Deacons, and it was like this grouchy old man with a cool top hat, and he had this like real like Popeye looking face on. I loved that hat, and I would always match up my outfit if I was wearing a black hat. I had to be wearing like black pants. It like had to be matching. The worst and most embarrassing of the 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 bunch um, at this age in my life. It was a weird time, you know what I mean? And uh, like late middle school into early high school. And I wore Carolina blue, and so I wore my North Carolina hat, and I had these, like, windbreaker blue pants. Okay, and I had these white and, and light blue, Carolina blue tennis shoes that match with it, right? That had to be flowing from head to toe. But it gets worse, okay? It gets way worse because I had these glasses that were a little Elton Johnish, and they were light blue lenses, right? It was a bad cross mix between, like, Eminem and Elton John. It was a weird... Weird situation. It didn't last long, but um, I, as I got older, I, I, was, I didn't collect as many hats, and I got rid of a lot of hats. And I, the ones that I keep now are the ones that mean something to me. It's my favorite teams. It has my son's name on it um, from a city that we named him after, Camden. They, just, I just wear a few. One, because I don't wear hats as much, but secondly, because I, I've just weeded out a lot of things, and I think our lives are the same way. If you're anything like me, you juggle a lot of hats. You wear a hat of student, you wear a hat of mom, you wear a hat of a volunteer at church, of wife, of friend, of sister, of daughter. We wear all these different hats, and, and if you're anything like me, I'm decent at um, multitasking, but I'm not as good as I think I am, right? I think I'm doing better when I'm doing more, but I'm actually not. Um, and so there's something the scriptures wanted to teach us about juggling hats. And if you've ever had felt to, the struggle to balance your different responsibilities and, and, and things that you have going on in your life, and I'm not just talking about time management. I think it goes far wider and deeper than that today. And I want to turn to the scriptures to talk about it. And one of the things, I, I, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, so if you want to turn in your Bible or on your phone, we're going to have it up here in just a second. One of the things I've learned over the past few years, uh, because I just thought, okay, once our baby hits one or two, once they start walking, things will settle down. Once we get our church up and rolling, things will start to settle down. And here's what I've learned, is it doesn't. It doesn't slow down. In fact, most of the time in our life, we pick up pace until some point in our life where we, we kind of learn our lesson and we realize that, you know, few things are needed, really just a few. And, um, and we've just got to, I, I was on the interstate, I was on 95 the other day, and there was this lady in the on-ramp, and you, you know what an on-ramp is, you get on as quickly as possible without hitting another car. And this lady did not know how that goes, but to get on, you have to speed up very quickly, Right? You have to speed up. This lady, like, just, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm in trouble now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself worse in trouble because I don't know that it was a lady. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've just assumed it was a lady. I know, I know, I'm not, I love ladies. I, I love you. Go back and look at my Facebook this week. I was very encouraging towards women, so maybe that'll save me. Um, 
um, there was this person that just stopped in the on-ramp, and I'm driving by, I'm like, what are you doing? And there's literally like 10 cars behind the person. And uh, so they, uh, we got past that, but life is like that. Sometimes we're hoping for things to slow down. Well, I'll do this. I'll get this hat back on because I know it's important. I really want to do this. When things finally slow down, and that's a, it's an illusion that that's actually going to happen. The truth of the matter is that we have to pick up pace. We have to learn and, and grow. And here's the beauty is I think the Lord has a lot to speak into that and how we juggle these different hats and responsibilities. So go to Luke chapter 10, and we see this beautiful, beautiful text of Mary and Martha and some deep lessons, but really all of Luke chapter 10 is about choices. Jesus sends out the 72 at the very beginning of Luke chapter 10, and they have an opportunity to take things, and they're making choices, and Jesus is saying, don't take these things, take these things. And then it goes on to the Good Samaritan, that's a choice to cross the road, and here, again, it's about about choices. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. It's a powerful, powerful text. And there's a few things I want to share just briefly, and then I want to get into, I want to spend more time on the third one, so it's not going to be a super even message, but it's going to get in. Sorry, that's just the organizer in my brain. It's going to get there. Um, the first thing that I really feel like this tells us about the Lord is, one, that he knows you by name. I think in the busyness of stuff, we can really lose intimacy and we can lose perspective really quickly. And nothing will snap your perspective back in by having a moment like we just had where you get to see the face of Jesus and you reflect on the character of who God is. Go back to that, that verse 41, Martha, Martha. And many times we're, we're busy and we're rushing through life and we forget that he knows our name, and he cares deeply about us. I heard the story of Truett Cathy, who is, of course, the owner-founder of Chick-fil-A, and he, uh, they have a very big bowl game each year called the Chick-fil-A Bowl. It's kind of a big deal up in Atlanta, and Truett Cathy is in, with the speaker I was hearing, they're in like his box, and he, uh, Truett Cathy gets a, gets a call, and it's from, uh, the person that he's with doesn't know, but Truett Cathy goes out, he's like, I gotta take this. So they go out, he takes the phone call, and he comes back in, and he shares to uh, this person, he's like, oh, that was just um, one of my uh, high school students in my Bible study or my Sunday school class. True Kathy teaches a Sunday school class, by the way. As busy as that man is, he, like, spends time with teenagers. <laughs> and, and he, um, you know, it was just, it was kind of baffling as I was hearing the story of that this man of such high stature, that was a, a CEO that, I mean, not only did these kids um, feel comfortable to, not only did he have the real number, right? If you were like a big time CEO, you'd probably be giving out some fake numbers or a secretary's number. Like these teenagers have his real number to call him. And I thought that's such an intense and beautiful thought about keeping important things important. And he, and more importantly, that he not only, they not only had his phone number, but that he knew them, each one of them by name, and was willing to pick up the call on the busiest time of the year. And sometimes in our busyness of stuff, of our big bowl game, whatever that might be in your life, the busyness of your day, or maybe that's just at the dinner table with your kids. 
kind of forget this very simple thing that he knows us. He knows us. And that's a, it's a deeply humbling thought. I love what Psalm 139 says to us. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. Psalm 834 is, is a question. It's a rhetorical question. Who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I that you're mindful of me? Such a powerful thought. And we have to come to understand this. Our, um, our son is, is like always about figuring everything out. And so we have to tell him everything in advance, like what's coming up. Sometimes that's dangerous with kids because they bug you until you do it. You go to Disney World, you tell them like the moment before because you don't want to be bugged about it for the two weeks before. When are we going? When are we going? When are we going? And so with him, it's, it's opposite. Like he wants to know. And, and sometimes I just have to look back. I'm like, bud, you just got to trust me. Because here's the thing, in the busyness of life, our true spiritual rest doesn't come from us figuring it all out. It's from trusting and believing that he does. He's got it all under control. And that's going to um, lean into a, another principle we have here in um, uh, just a minute. Uh, secondly, look back at verse 41 and see this. You're worried and upset about many things. You're upset and worried about many things. I think the first one really speaks to God the Father. God the Father, that he knows. I think the second one really speaks to God the Son. The incarnation that we see described in John 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh. It's kind of an interesting phrase, the Word became flesh. It's not how we would normally say that. John became farmer, right? We, we wouldn't say that. It would be... In, in, a, in a different way, it's a little bit of a, what's called an idiom for you literature folks out there, English majors. It, it's an idiom, and that it has literal sense, but it also is deeply figurative in what he's trying to convey. And the word in John's gospel means Jesus Christ. And so he said, in the beginning was the word. He's speaking about the eternal existence of Jesus Christ. And then he gets to verse 14, and the word became flesh. It was eternally existed, and then it so flame. And I think the understanding of this idiom is not only that he became a human, but he became flesh. He embodied all of humanity. He embodied all of humanity. And I, I think that sometimes we forget that in the midst of our struggle, right? Because it's difficult to balance everything. And maybe it's not just responsibilities. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's heartache that we have trouble putting all these things together and, and don't understand really how God's at work. And, and maybe you're in here today and you've just stopped praying. You stopped praying. You stopped praying because you just don't think he hears you anymore. You just don't think he knows what you're going through. Mom doesn't know what you're going through. Your sister, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, wife. They don't, you don't know what I'm going through. We just stop praying. And I just want to throw this out here for just a second. For somebody in the room that stopped praying, Jesus knows. Husband's be been beating on you. You're abused. Wife's been texting another man. Caught her. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was beaten. He knows. He knows. And if you stop praying because you don't think he knows, I'm telling you, he knows. You've suffered loss and nobody else gets what this pain is like. First of all, God sent his son to be sacrificed. He knows. 
And Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, one of the most beautiful texts, if you don't just make it as like an easy scripture to memorize, one of the most beautiful, deeply beautiful about the incarnation of Christ is Jesus wept. Because when Lazarus, he lost his best friend. And maybe you've stopped praying because you forgot that he, he knows what you're feeling, but don't forget this, that he is also able to bring you out of it. He didn't leave Lazarus. He wept. He experienced it, but he also brought life forward. And maybe you're going through a season or a time where you forgot that he knows what you're feeling. And every day, whatever you're going through, any circumstance, he felt it because he became, he embodied humanity. Every single one of us. It's a great mystery. But he knows what you're, you're feeling today. The next uh, one that we see here in uh, verse 42, is that he knows what you need to be focused on. Look back at the text. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken. Few things. Few things. I want to talk to you about a few things. This is where I want to elaborate a little bit on the message. A few problems that I think we face, and I think that Martha and Mary faced here. And they're very common to every single one of us. The first type of issue or problem here. Uh, I believe is a, is a pride issue. Marsha, 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 Martha, Martha. Uh, is that where that came from? No, it's not. Um, Martha had some pride issues, some real pride issues. A large majority of our issues in our walk with God are pride issues. I think if you could boil down every sin into one sin, I believe it's pride. It was the first sin in heaven, perfect creation, fall of Satan, because he wanted to overthrow pride. I believe it'll be the last sin. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Some have, that have accepted and walked in humility will enter his kingdom in eternity. And others will be humiliated. I believe it's the first sin. I believe it's the last sin. I believe it all boils down to this. I had this one hat many years ago. Uh, and it was, I had an aunt who, who worked, um, so she lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. And her husband, who's now deceased, um, was on staff at the Tennessee Volunteers. Okay, and I'm a Gator fan, so I don't usually care about the Tennessee Volunteers. But this became really special to me. And it was cool because I got to go meet Philip Fulmer and meet some different players and get a bunch of autographs. But one autograph has always stood out to me and meant the most to me. And it was this hat when there was a young man by the name of Peyton Manning that was playing there. And I had this, this hat right here. And she had it. And I didn't get to meet Peyton, but I had this hat. To Kyle, best wishes, Peyton Manning, number 16. And uh, the older I got and the better he got, and then, like, he started the NFL, and at some point, I'm like, this guy's going to be, like, a great Hall of Famer. And then I'm like, wait, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time? And he, like, addressed me. I'm like, I know that's not a big deal for a lot of you, but for me, I was, like, the coolest thing in the world. And, like, the better he got, it's not worth as much because it's got my name on it, but to me, it's worth more. Come on, hear this. There's a spiritual thought here. It's not worth a lot to a lot of other people, but because it had my name on it, it meant more to me. Loses value with man. It brought me great um, you know, personal gratification. 
So I had this hat, and for I moved. I went, moved off to Tennessee. Um, actually, moved up to Tennessee from Florida to go to college, and it went in, you know, just the back of my closet where the hats that you don't wear go. And uh, then I moved a couple times, and it was always kind of back of the closet, hanging up somewhere. And then I moved a couple more times, and it got shoved in a corner, and the dust had collected on it. And then it got shoved in a box when we were moving here. And when we settled into our, our home that we live in now, it ended up in a box with a rotted out bottom that was in the back corner of our garage for a little while where water seeps in. And my hat was destroyed. Destroyed. This hat meant the world to me. And with every single move, and every single time I kicked dust off of it and said, man, I'd really love to put this in a nice case and take care of this and keep this and give this to my kids. With every passing move, my heart didn't match my actions. I never did it. And at some point, that which was very valuable to me, rotted. And maybe you can't connect that to pride, but I think that's deeply connected to pride because he's saying there's one thing need and he knows what we need to focus on. That's really the point of this last part here. He knows what we need to focus on. God the Father knows. God the Spirit, or God the uh, Son experienced and lived it out. And God the Holy Spirit will lead us into all righteousness and truth about Jesus Christ, empower us for living, and guide us into truth through the Scriptures. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. And he'll guide us and he'll help us sort through all the hats. will help us sort through all the motions. He knows what we need to be focused on. But Mary had pride issues. Her actions weren't the problem. Her actions were fine. Right? She's serving. Right? That's good. We applaud serving in the church. Right? Jesus said if you want to be the greatest, then you need to learn to be the least and be a servant at all. Son of man didn't come to be served, but to, to be a servant at all. Servant of all. It's, it's, it's a great thing, but her, her actions weren't the problem. Her focus was. And I think a lot of us, we go back to our circumstances and we're like, well, once this is settled, once this is, and, and really what we do is we just make a bunch of excuses, like I did with my hat. I kept making excuses for why I wasn't doing it. Well, I don't have the money for a nice case. I'll do it next year. I'll do it when I get that paycheck. I never did. See, worship is, has to be priority in our life. It has to be priority. And anytime it's not, it's a pride issue. Because we're putting something else there, and it's become an idol in our life. See, worship inspires, um, prepares, and sustains both the work and the worker. Worship prepares, inspires, and sustains both the work and the worker. And we've got to remember that. It wasn't her actions that were a problem. Her focus was, and pride slips in there. The moment like she started thinking uh, not about worship and the presence of her Savior and, and her really good doing, the moment she started thinking about something else that wasn't worship to him in that action, it became prideful. And pride will spoil your spiritual, sacrificial service to the Lord. It'll spoil it in a heartbeat. If we just, when we make it about our work, when we make it about everybody else's non-work or what they're doing, when we don't make it about serving the Lord. Second problem I, I see here, second issue I think that we all face is not just pride issues, but distraction issues. Okay, even if you're in here and you are diagnosed ADHD, I think there's probably another bunch of us in the room that like you claim that anytime you forget that or you can't focus, you're like, I'm ADHD. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that that's a, a real issue, but I think so many, so many people just latch onto it because we're so scattered brain and we've got so many things on our plate and we're like, well, no, no, and we just kind of look for that. 
and we cling, we cling to the excuse. And excuses will just lower our expectations for ourselves. That's all we do with excuses. We just kind of box ourselves in until we become like the prodigal son and the pig slop looks good. We keep lowering, well, I'll make excuses. Well, dad didn't this and mom didn't do that and this person. And so we just get ourselves into a corner and the pig slop looks amazing. It, started, it starts with the distraction. Hey, just two quick things here on this note. Simplify your focus. Like as I got older, it wasn't about what was cool and what was shiny. It was about what felt good and what meant you know, it's not felt good, but what's comfortable and what um, what's means something to me. Simplify your focus. You need to maybe cut some things out, or maybe it's time to get up to speed. And then secondly, choose what's best. Choose what's best. I, I've been following the ministry of John Bevere for a little while, but in the past year, a little more closely. And he's got a new book out called Good or God. And he refers back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 with Eve. And many times we think that it was a choice between good and evil, but it wasn't a choice between good and evil. It was a choice between good and God. It really was. Look back at the text. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Nothing about that sounds bad. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It, it wasn't about that it was good. It was about that it, it wasn't worthy and God had drawn a line, and it was about obedience. And we do this, and sometimes we, we always think we're not. The thing about deception, which is one of the things that Bevere points to in his book, is that deception, you don't know when you're being deceived until after the fact. You ever been scammed about anything? You've been scammed by a bill collector, you've been scammed by a vacation thing, been scammed by a company with anything? You don't know it until after the fact, and then you feel like a little bit of a, a dunce, you know, after it happened. You're like, man, should have known better, but we don't. That's the thing about deception and what the scriptures tell us, and Bevere says in his book, is that the scriptures tell us that in the last days, Christians, the elect, believers, will even be deceived. And I don't think it's after, you know, you know satanic worship and, and all this evil. I think it's after the good things. I think in our culture right now across America, we're accepting what's good over what is God. We've lowered our expectations and we're, and we're distracted. And before deception happens, distraction happens. We get focused on some other things. And then, but it, it's such a slippery slope, we don't even know we've been deceived. Because our focus is off. I, uh, here's just an encouragement for some of you. This, I've got so many dreams and visions in my heart that God's placed, and it's all time and money, right? It's all, always the issue, time and money. And, and I've got a couple things that I'm, I'm going to launch in the next uh, year, year and a half. But I, I asked my mom. I reached out to her. I said, Mom, just help me pray this week. I need you to pray for me. If God gives you a word, I need to hear it. Because I'm just seeking God's timing on a couple of things. I'm seeking clarity on what is now and what is later. Maybe, maybe you're there in some ways because I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be wearing too many hats. I just want it to be God-honoring. And maybe you're in that place and you're trying to sort through your distractions and having trouble sorting it all out. Maybe you need to reach out to a mom or a spiritual mother and a, a spiritual father or a friend and really get some sound biblical advice 
Um, and I, I believe there is such a thing as spirit-led time management. Spirit-led time management. Because what we often do is we're kind of constantly picking up hats. These are a few of my favorite hats here. Bucks Rays in my Camden hat. And we're often like switching them off. And, and, and we struggle with that because when we put this one on, we feel like we're saying to that one, let me just let this represent my family. This is a weird one. It doesn't fit me great, but it's comfortable. Um, I, I, when I put this one on, I feel like I'm, I'm dissing my family. I'm not respecting my family. But here's the thing. What drives it being God-honoring in worship is not what hat we have on, but our heart for the main thing. Keeping the main thing the main thing. If this is my worship hat, as long as that's always there, and we're coming back to that. We can't be distracted that, look, these things are, are needed, but really, indeed, only one is needed, and it's this that inspires everything else. I've got hat head, hair, so I'll just go ahead and leave the hat on, right? That probably makes the most sense. Um, so we're distracted, and so don't be distracted. That's, that's an issue that Martha was facing. One more, and the band's going to come and, and, and begin to play and lead us. It's not Martha, it's Mary. It's Mary. And it's not issues she had, but it's issues somebody else had with her. And this is one that, that we all face at some point in our life. I think we all face the pride one. I think we all face the distraction one. And I think we all face the, the one that Mary faced. It's criticism. It hurts to be criticized. It really hurts. Nature of what I do has me getting a lot of criticism. Some to my face, some behind my back. Because I hold very strong beliefs, and sometimes people just don't like me. They don't like what we're doing or certain things. But how we respond to criticism says a lot about our relationship with God. And here's what you need to see in this text, is Mary doesn't pipe up like we would if our sister or our friend tried to call us out. I'm like, shut it. I'm doing what's right. Right? We'd have words for them. Come on, they're close. Think about your family situation here. This, somebody's cleaning, somebody's not. Like, get up and help me. Or at least you're saying it in your head and it builds in resentment. That's a whole other message. Um, we begin to get our focus on the wrong things. And Martha's criticizing her. Backhanded. She's talking to Jesus, but she's right there. Tell her to get up. Like, Mary's like, why don't you say it to my face? Why don't you say it to my face? Why don't you just say it to me? But she doesn't. And she's, she's criticizing What's right? And maybe you're here and maybe you've got a, a friend, a coworker, a mom or dad or brother or sister who doesn't understand you giving your life for the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about death on a cross. I'm talking about daily, dying daily. That's what I'm talking about. They don't understand the choices and direction your life is going as you honor the Lord and obey Him. They don't understand that. Maybe they'll criticize. And even, even in ministry, even in this beautiful family that is, and I think sometimes we look back on the early church and just think everything is rosy, but the truth of the matter is that it was far from rosy. And they had all kinds of issues, if, if you guys will come. And it, it wasn't. There was a lot of issues. And even in the church, even within the body of Christ, we can find ourselves criticizing our leg on how it's doing, or our foot, or our hand, or our face, or our heart, or our lungs, can criticize parts of it. 
And Mary was being criticized, but she didn't take her focus off what was important to respond to it. Here's quick seven things on how to respond to criticism, and I'm going to close. Listen to it. Sometimes God will use it. There's been many times I've been criticized and it hurt bad, but then I found out God was teaching me something through it. Listen to it. Don't overreact to it. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Talk about it. Talk it out. Hey, Mom, I just want to bounce this off you. Friend, I want to bounce this off you. Is this God or am I hearing, is this this work of the devil here or something or the enemy? Is there something else going on here? Talk about it. Learn from it. Had a profound statement, you know, somebody the other day, and they, they, it was in a little bit different context of uh, what we were talking about. But he said, this whole time when an axe was going to my tree, this whole time I thought God was trying to chop it down, and the whole time God was pruning it. The deep, powerful statement. Maybe learn from it. Pray about it. If you're not taking it to the Lord, don't be taking it to everybody else to gossip about. Take it to the Lord. Thank God for it. This is what James said, that I can consider it all joy when I face trials and persecution because it's developed perseverance and the perseverance has developed character. Thank God for it. Maybe that criticism is what stopped you from going a direction and you just held back a little bit, prayed about it a little bit more and there was something right about it. Maybe it wasn't totally right, but maybe there was something on point that you had to walk in. Thank God for it and forget about it. Jesus told his disciples when they go out, if you're not received, which for them in that time was proper hospitality to come in and take their, their nasty sandal, sandy feet into a home and, and to be washed. They'd get water to wash their face and water to wash their feet. And Jesus said, when you're not received, literally brush the feet, your dust off yourself. Right? So brush the dirt off your shoulder. Before it was that, it was brush it off your feet. It meant something about following Jesus, that there's going to be criticism when you're doing right. There's going to be naysayers, and that's what my whole sermon next week is about giants in your life and the giant killers that uh, I want to talk about. But don't overreact to it. Keep in step with his spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. Let your actions line up with your heart, and Paul recognized that and teaches that, that sometimes what we want to do, our heart longs to do, we just don't do the things we want to do or we shouldn't do, we, we do. God wants to speak to you, but, but I, I know more than anything, he wants you to get a picture of your face, of his face, I'm sorry, and his character, that he knows you. God, the Father knows every bit about you, every detail, every dream, every vision in your life he knows. And he's felt what you're going through. And this season and every season, he knows what you're going through. And then finally, he knows what you need to focus on this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. These guys are going to sing a, just a, a great song for us, and I'm going to invite you to the table. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you. We're a people that are open today. We're a people that are hungry to see your face. We're a people that want to honor you with our whole heart, God, just not a piece of it. And I pray that you would draw us in, draw us back to our first love, and you, God, help us to just always be be filled with worship, God, whether we've got our family hat on or our work hat on or our church hat. God, let it all be about worship and help us not to get distract, distracted. God, we just rest in your presence today. We thank you for this time we get to share celebrating your goodness, celebrating your sacrifice, and that you know 
desires of our heart, and you know every detail. You know us, God. Who are we that you're mindful of us? Christ's holy name, amen.